This is the What Now Podcast. Some people spend more time planning a surprise party than their whole life. And I thought, well, that's true of marriage, too. And I like to tell my students there's a difference between a temple wedding and a celestial marriage. And one is an event and the other is an ongoing process and effort. This is the What Now Podcast, where we discuss the stigma that surrounds cultural norms in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful, open, and honest way in an effort to create more understanding, hope, and healing. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Today, I will be speaking with best-selling author and well-known motivational speaker, John By the Way, about how to navigate dating and the pressure to marry young in our church culture. John shares his wisdom from over 30 years as a motivational teacher while keeping us all engaged with his signature humor. I'd like to welcome John, by the way, to our podcast today. I'm so excited to have you with us. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be with you. I have to say I'm a little bit of a groupie. I mean, I have been listening to your inspirational messages for almost 30 years. So thank you for that. I mean, I just have these memories of driving my kids around to a million different activities and listening to your CDs in the car. So thank you for that. You helped me raise my kids. <laughs> well, before that, it was cassette tapes. I have to explain to the teenagers what a cassette tape is now. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it goes back a long time. So I've got a big mouth and lots of PowerPoints. <laughs> well, you're fantastic. So yeah, if you could just share a little bit about yourself and how you became a motivational speaker. Let's start with that. Well, let's see. I think I like to tell the young people that my life began after high school, and really it did. I think that going on a mission was so pivotal because when I got home, one of my very first companions, as a matter of fact, said, hey, come down to BYU and do EFY. And I was like, what's FYI? And <laughs> EFY was only, there were only four sessions back then. I was like 100 every summer, except for this summer. But so I got involved with that and just had a blast. And all of the people, the kind of head counselors that were running it were graduating. So I applied for that job and became one of the administrators over it, one of the student administrators over it. And boy, everything just kind of went from there. Then I had a chance here and there to give a talk. And, and it was never my plan, but things just kind of <laughs> grew from there. And it's been a lot of fun. Well, that's terrific. Well, today we're going to be talking about dating relationships and marriage in our church culture. So I want to start with a great quote from you, where you say, most people spend more time planning the wedding than planning the marriage. The wedding is the planting, but the marriage is the season. One happens in an instant and the rest can last forever. That is a powerful quote. And the most important generational decision that we make in our lives, and sometimes we can jump into it so quickly. Yeah, I had think I actually heard that in another way, that some people spend more time planning a surprise party than their whole life. And I thought, well, that's true of marriage, too. And I like to tell my students, there's a difference between a temple wedding and a celestial marriage. And one is an event, and the other is an ongoing process and effort. It's kind of like baptism is an event, but being born again is an ongoing process. And planning the wedding is, a, we're doing one right now for my oldest daughter, but then you compare that to being in a marriage and every day, how are we doing and where are we going? And is this where we want to go? And how do we set our goals and decide how we're going to get there is, is a whole different ballgame. And that's a good distinction too. It's 
it's not just an event. It's actually an eternal marriage, <laughs> which has a lot yeah. of components. It's a quality of marriage that you want. You want to have a celestial marriage and not just a temple wedding. That's an effort every day. Totally. And in our church culture, many of these young adults are getting married really young, especially if they live in a church community or they're attending a church school like a BYU. You know, there can often be a stigma around not getting married young, which is interesting. So let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I think I am not the average. I was over 30 years old when I got married, and I was really trying. I know that some may be deliberately putting it off and so forth, but I never was. I was really trying and hoping to get married. And <laughs> I tell the young adults something about looking at my face made girls want to go on a mission. And uh, <laughs> I could give you their names and their missions, but I'm not that bitter, but I'm close. But yeah, that is part of the culture. And yet such a huge life decision that could be made when you're still so young. And that's where I just feel this motivation to do exactly what you're doing, get as much education out there as possible about this because it is so huge and so long-lasting and give as much information as possible before people jump into that so young. Yeah. So what should young adults look for in a healthy relationship and how do they prepare not just for the wedding but for the marriage? I think the good answer to that is to look at the fruits of it. What are the results of? Do you feel motivated to be the best person that you can be? And when you meet somebody who motivates you to want to be a better person, I think that is absolutely huge. And if that's mutual, wow, that's the greatest. If both of you feel that from each other, then you just lift each other continually. And one of the hard things is sequence here because I think that it's a fact that if there's a friendship first, that's a great basis. But as soon as you call somebody for a date, there's automatically kind of a, a romantic expectation. And that's the hard part. And that's why it is important to be in communities, uh, meet somebody on a mission, meet somebody in a singles ward, where you have a chance to work side by side to be friends first, if possible. And it's not always possible, and it wasn't with me. It was a date because I was interested romantically. But that's one of the things that you really want is a basis of friendship, that you just like being together. You like hanging out together. Right. You have common interests. You enjoy being together. Maybe you share a sense of humor that's similar. I mean, there's certain things that attract us to each other, right? And yeah. it's there's a danger of getting physical too fast. I know in this generation, we're in the Tinder and Match generation. And it's tricky because these young adults today, they communicate online for a while before meeting. So by the time they meet in person, they feel like they already know them and they move forward physically a lot faster. That is exactly right. From what I've read and from my own experience, it messes up your head. You start wanting to be with someone more so that you can share affection and because you have an emotional connection. And So I think it's wise to deliberately postpone that. And I don't know what the world says or what the world thinks. But if you just really enjoy being with the person first and you discover that you really just enjoy being with the person, that is great. And then... The uh, affection can mean so much more, but I remember a bishop suggesting once in one of my young single adult wards that if you feel like you're in a relationship that's too physical, try spending the next two weeks together without even touching each other, just to see if you just like being together, because I think the affection can 
kind of cloud your judgment, your thinking. Level. There's, there's kind of a, what would you call it, maybe a bonding that goes on with that. And then you can be confused. Do I really like being with this person? Or is it just that, you know, I, what was it I read somewhere? Some couples know how to kiss, but they don't know how to talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> totally. They fall back on the physical part because the emotional part isn't there and confuse the type of intimacy that they have, you know. Well, you had a really good quote from one of your books about dating from, I think, about 2004, and it was a great quote from Brother Benyon, and it says, too much sharing of physical affection can cloud thinking to the point that a couple doesn't really know why they like each other. Other than the opportunity to share affection, a couple may even get married, and when the honeymoon is over and they're back to everyday life, they may discover they have little to talk about. That's kind of a scary thought. Yeah, it's a really scary thought. That's one of my things to tell young adults. Just postpone that. If you kiss, just hold off and make sure you enjoy being together because you want to be with this person when you're in your 70s and 80s and you just want to love being with them. And that ensures the friendship ensures that there's a joy just in being together other than just the physical part that goes with marriage, which is wonderful, but that is a part of the marriage, but that's not the whole part of the marriage. Yeah, and marriage is running errands and doing a lot of mundane things. <laughs> you yeah. can't have fun being together, doing the mundane routine things of life. It's going to be a long eternity. Yeah, there's a lot of stress, and the kids come along and everything. And I remember one of my brothers-in-law just telling me, that he discovered after he was married that they spent most of their time was working together. It wasn't just looking in each other's eyes with music playing. It was working together and doing stuff together. And that became really helpful for me to know. That, do you enjoy being somebody and do you actually work on projects together? Yes. And that's true. There's a partnership there for sure. So, you know, let's explore what it means to be in love. Like we hear that term all the time. Oh my gosh, I'm so in love. So let's explore what it really means to be in love. I am so glad you asked me that because I got to a point as a young single adult where I thought to myself, I don't know if it's possible for me. I thought maybe I'm too much into thinking about it too hard, analysis, paralysis, whatever, and that I'm incapable of feeling that. And then I started thinking, where do we even get that idea? And we get it from a pretty bad source, Hollywood and songs on the radio. And that's not the best source for how to govern your life, Hollywood and songs yeah. on the radio, right? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I went to the, the Book of Mormon, how did Nephi do this? And Nephi gives us like one verse, you know, I, Nephi, took one of the daughters of Ishmael to wife, period. That's it. And I thought, well, Mr. Go and Do just went and did, but that doesn't help me very much. <laughs> and also, he was large in stature, which I didn't get. So <laughs> That's so funny. I love it. How do I do that? And I found a couple of statements, one from Ezra Taft Benson and one from, I think it was David O. McKay, about what is that falling in love? Is there really such a thing? And is there a, from a good source, where can I learn what that feels like? And so David O. McKay said once, and I've got it right here. My mother once said that if you meet a girl in whose presence you feel a desire to achieve, who inspires you to do your best and to make the most of yourself, such a young woman is worthy of your love and is awakening love in your heart. I submit that as a true guide. That was in 1953 from David O. McKay. And then President Ezra Taft Benson said, 
one good yardstick as to whether a person might be the right one for you is this. In her presence, do you think your noblest thoughts? Do you aspire to your finest deeds? Do you wish you were better than you are? And when I put those all together, I got these six things. You feel a desire to achieve. You want to do your best. You want to make the most of yourself. You think your noblest thoughts, which is different from, I think, what a lot of the messages from Hollywood and songs on the radio. You aspire to your finest deeds, and you wish you were better than you are. And if I had to condense that down just a couple of lines, you find someone that you respect and that you admire. And those are two powerful words, respect and admiration. Absolutely. And I just thought, you find someone you respect and you admire. Now, the Twitter-pated, infatuated, in-love feelings, they go up and down. And I'm happy to say I still get those for my wife after 25 years of marriage. But you respect and you admire someone. That was the heart of it for me. And I like this because it came from a better source then, I mean, where does this in love thing come from? Is it scriptural? Where do we get that? Yeah. And it was kind of hard to pin that down. So I appreciated that it has been talked about. For me, that's it. I respect this person. I admire this person. And you have a great quote. <laughs> and I'm going to read it because I think it's awesome. It says, it is odd that people seek out a period of temporary insanity as the ideal mindset for making a crucial life decision. <laughs> It would be sensible to say, I can't decide whether to marry you or not. I'm too much in love to think clearly. Instead, people often feel that if they are not in the grip of this madness, something vital is lacking. Isn't that great? That is from a book. The backstory of that quotation is my elders quorum president gave me that book. <laughs> you always know when someone is giving you a book, the title says something. I mean... That's why you don't see any books out there called, you know, personal hygiene. Because if you give that to somebody, what are you trying to say? Right. And uh, <laughs> this title of that book, it was by Judith Sills. It was How to Stop Looking for Someone Perfect and Find Someone to Love. So clearly my elders quorum president decided I was trying to find someone perfect. And But isn't that a great statement? You seek out a period of temporary insanity is the ideal mindset for making a crucial life decision. And that's what we see in the movies. I mean, suddenly, <gasps> I saw this person across a crowded room, the music started, and I'm temporarily insane, and that's how I know it's right. Yes. And that trips up a lot of kids. You know, some kids will say, but I don't feel like totally in love and thinking about him 24-7, and I, I'm so, like, my heart is pounding every time I see him. I said, well, how do you feel when you see them? Well, I feel so relaxed, and I feel myself, and I feel peaceful. I'm like... That's exactly how you should feel. Okay, that's a little better. Yeah. And yeah. I like that when we're looking for inspiration, we can go to the Doctrine and Covenants. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. And I love that it's both of those, that I not only feel this attraction, this Twitter patient, but this makes sense to me. I tell you in your mind. And if you ever have where you're only looking at your heart and thinking this person would be bad for me in your mind, but I'm so attracted to them. <laughs> That's probably a red flag, right? Oh, definitely. And I think it's part of human nature to fall back on that white, what's comfortable and safe. You know, some people go back to relationships they know aren't good for them. And that's really dangerous too, you know, to date someone you know you would never want to marry. And then you risk falling in love with that person. And then you can't really get out of it. And you get deeper and deeper in a bad relationship. 
Well, what you just said is so critical because if you are of the mindset that falling in love is the universe's way of telling me it's right, the problem right there, and Elder Bruce C. Hafen said, don't date someone you already know you would not ever want to marry. Okay, that's in your head. If you fall in love with someone, you should not marry. And when I share this quotation with the young single adults, I want to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is it possible to fall in love with someone you should not marry? Yes. <laughs> you can't expect the Lord to guide you away from that person after you are already emotionally committed. And, boy, if I can put in a plug right now, that talk, Elder Bruce C. Hafen was at one time the president of what was known anciently as Rick's College and now BYU-Idaho. But he gave this talk called The Gospel and Romantic Love, and it is brilliant which was reprinted in the new era and stuff. You can find it if you just go to your church uh, library app, The Gospel and Romantic Love by Elder Bruce C. Hafen. There's so many good things in there, and that was just one of them. Yeah, it's possible to fall in love with someone you should not marry. And so your head and your heart should be involved in that decision. And then you kind of go back to what we were talking about before, about the power of friendship. You know, if you can establish a strong friendship and be best friends before you even really date, that's also a positive. Yeah, because then you know you just like being together and hanging out together, and there's a compatibility there. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it makes it even more wonderful, the physical part. But you just like being together. You like hanging out together. And I'm so happy to report I just love hanging out with my wife. And, you know, this is my first pandemic, but I think I've <laughs> spent... <laughs> Mine too. Yeah, I've spent so much more time at home with my wife, and I've really liked it. There's some certain things about this, really been a lot of lessons, and one of those is that I have enjoyed spending so much time with my wife, and I'm so happy to be able to report that. Yeah, I mean, this is giving a lot of people time in relationships to spend a lot of time with someone that they're dating and to see how it's going. Yeah, and I think that when we're dating, we're so much at our best. We're trying to do our very best and act our best and dress our best and we vacuum out our car. I mean, everything. And when real life comes around, you, you find out what people are really like. And so when there's a little bit more time in dating and there's real life and you confront some real hard situations, really see what someone's all about rather than just seeing each other at our best. <laughs> when we're dating. And maybe that's an argument for spend a little more time in the dating process. Absolutely. You know, one mistake that I see a lot with young people is rushing into marriage, thinking it's going to solve their problems and make them happy. Like the relationship's going to make them happy. And I'm so unhappy and I don't like my life, but this person's going to make me happy. You know, that's a dangerous road to go down. You know, I put somewhere in my book, I can't remember, but the quotation of take as few problems to the altar as possible. It was Marky e. Peterson. And don't think that just because you walk in a very special room in the temple, and it is very special, and walk out again, that suddenly you're different people. Because you're not. The same people who walked in walk out again. And Take as few problems to the altar as possible, absolutely, because those problems will remain. And there are some wonderful things about marriage that you now have someone with you to encounter life together. But yeah, please don't think the marriage will solve this problem. In fact, 
I don't know who this wonderful woman is. Her name is Karen Lynn Davidson, and I've seen the name, and I know she's actually written the lyrics of a couple of our hymns, I think, in the hymn book. But she said once that, oh boy, I'm going to have to, my hard drive in my brain is spinning slowly. Oh, I have it here. It says, I have yet to see marriage by itself turn an unhappy person into a happy person. A really happy married person is almost always one who was or could have been happy as a single person. That's a great statement. That is a fantastic statement that if you have that idea that marriage will make me happy, Read that statement again. I've yet to see marriage by itself turn an unhappy person into a happy person. And we learn to be happy in whatever circumstances we're in to the best of our ability. But marriage isn't a quick fix for I'm unhappy all the time uh, type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, we know marriage is important. So, you know, but why is it so urgent in this culture? It seems so urgent. Like, oh my gosh, you're going to graduate BYU without being married? Then what are you going to (laughs) do? And you're an old maid at 23. You know, that whole mindset, like when I was going to school, I remember that term was thrown around a lot. Like, oh, you're going to be an old maid. You're graduating BYU and you're not married. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Why is there this urgency? I felt like that is one of the questions I was always trying to figure out because as I got past about 25, I started hearing that I was a menace to society over and over from an old old Brigham Young statement, you know, and I thought, why is it urgent? And I came up with a list and I put it in my, what I wish I'd known when I was single book. And this is just my list. And maybe you've got some ideas on this too, but I thought, well, probably from a Young single adult or bishop's perspective, it's the possibility of moral transgression. There's an urgency there, a longer exposure to temptation and things like that with the people that you're dating. But another one, a little more positive, is there's you know important knowledge and growth that are needed to become more like our Father in Heaven is best acquired in a family setting as a father, mother, and a spouse. I mean, perhaps that's a reason that there's knowledge and growth that are available Another reason I hadn't considered is that marriage is an ordinance, and perhaps there is a certain urgency to move along that path and receive those ordinances. Another reason is that this is the one that used to keep me up at night. The longer one remains single, the less available are potential spouses of similar age, and that was something I came up with in the 90s before we have such uh, amazing ways of technology of meeting people. Right, the online um, dating and all those resources. Yeah. yeah. Another one I thought of was the biological clock keeps ticking. I mean, I got married at 33 years old. I'm staring down a couple of years away from being 60 years old. I've got a daughter who is 12, my youngest. So in a way, there's, you know, I want to be be able to be young and active and everything when my children are teenagers. And this was just my list. Um, But the last one that I came up with was that it's simply a better way to live. It's an ideal way to live. And I, I have a statement from President Kimball that I just needed to hear more when I was a young single adult. He said, while marriage is difficult and discordant and frustrated marriages are common, Yet real lasting happiness is possible, and marriage can be more an exultant ecstasy than the human mind can conceive. And That's powerful. 
I wish more often when I'm with young single adults, I'd love to say this, is that I love being married. I love this way of life. I felt like more often I heard, and maybe this is my fault, maybe I was just hearing this more often, but kind of this, come on, you guys, you got to come on, you know, get married, you got to do this. And it sounded more like a, a duty I was supposed to enlist in than something I would, would want. And I needed more, I think, leaders to stand in front of me and say, marriage is awesome, and I love being married. I love this opportunity we have to get married and have a family. I needed to hear that more often. So I try to say that a lot more often with young people. Yeah, and if you're really approaching it in the right way, how we discussed kind of those six things you had mentioned about falling in love and feeling a desire to achieve and feeling inspired to do your best. And if you're marrying someone who helps you aspire to be your best self, your chance of being happily married is much greater, you know? So, I mean, you're happily married because you married someone who was also along the covenant path with you, right? And who helped you aspire to be even better than you were. And I still feel that today. I want to be better for her and like I said, when that's mutual and she says, I want to be better for you, wow, you just lift one another and you continue to lift one another too. And so that's the ideal situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd like to just touch on a little bit for our listeners on how to handle a breakup because that can be really difficult for people. You know, if you're with the wrong person, how do you get out? You know, so many people are like, I don't want to hurt them. Well, you can hurt them a little or you can hurt them a lot. So I love your quote. It says, it's possible, of course, that you wanted so badly for it to work out that you misinterpreted spiritual feelings and in essence put words in God's mouth. But there's another possibility. People change. Though the dating relationship was right at one time, it isn't anymore. The spiritual confirmation could have been an assurance of the relationship's capacity, its possibility, its potential, but it wasn't a guarantee of ultimate fruit. That's a really powerful statement. Yeah, and that's another article that really blessed me. It was from a man named M. Gawain Wells. It's just in the June 82 ensign. And the article, I think, was called Breaking Up Without Going to Pieces. And if you're a young single adult that's listening, find the article because it's, it's not just about the breaking up part that's in there. But it's about healthy relationships all along in that process. And I appreciated that article a lot because one of the things that makes this effort to get married, this commandment to get married, if I could say it that way, is it involves another person with agency. It's totally different. The only other commandment that I can think of that involves another person is the commandment to multiply and replenish the earth. And you're supposed to get those in the correct order, right? Yeah. <laughs> you get married first. <laughs> And, but when someone else's agency is involved, that changes everything. And there's only a couple of commandments you cannot obey by yourself. And those are the ones I'm thinking of. But this article, because people get that feeling, well, I had a good feeling about this, so why didn't it work out? Well, what you just read, it's possible you kind of put words into God's mouth. And I've always felt like it's very – sometimes we have a positive feeling, but then we put the words to it. And maybe we're putting more words there than really there. Maybe the Lord's saying, yeah, you'll grow from this one. As Brother Wells said, it might wasn't a guarantee of ultimate fruit, but you'll grow. You'll learn something from this. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and try this type of a thing. 
Yeah. And people will say, you know, when they're going through a bad breakup, you know, why do I have to go through this? And I've been, you know, doing everything right. And I thought this was the right person and it didn't work out. But, and you have this great quote, the wrong one is the right one to lead you to the best one. (laughs) I'll tell you, that saved my life. My high counselor in my ward said that. His name was Alan Cherry, and he was our high counselor. And I was so grateful for that because he struggled. I think he was in his 40s when he got married. And he addressed that very thing. He just said, if you have wondered, why do I have to go through this? And I, boy, that, that found a place in my planner. I couldn't put it in my phone because I didn't have a phone. <laughs> I had a Franklin planner. Planner, old school. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I When we were dating, my wife saw my planner, and it's, well, you have a big planner. And I said, yeah, I have big plans. So, uh, <laughs> But I wrote that down. The wrong one is the right one to lead you to the best one. And There are so many opportunities for growth, even in relationships that didn't work out. Okay, what did I learn, and how will this help me next time? And I heard someone more recently, it's not in the book, but say that God is more interested in our growth than he is in our comfort. And I thought, ooh. Ooh, I like that. I thought I'd rather him be more interested in my comfort, but sometimes he's more interested in our growth than in our comfort. And we'll grow through hard times and hard experiences. And what was the the Orson F. Whitney quote, that no pain that we experience is ever wasted. And yeah, we'll go through some tough times, but that makes us more able to take on life going through those tough times and those ups and downs. And it'll make us a better spouse to go through those ups and downs too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was the Orson F. Whitney quote, no heartache is wasted, no pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. Isn't that great? And that's from, that was in President Kimball's book, Faith Precedes the Miracle, and that I just thought, that's a great way to look at it. It's not, you when a breakup, it isn't that you wasted your time, you learned something. Now, there is another end to that, as we talked about Elder Hafen before. Don't continue to date someone that you know you would not want to marry because that takes you away from more promising relationships. Maybe both of you, if you know I could never marry this person. And particularly as a young single adult, I mean, we all dated people in high school, but I think after the mission, when marriage should be that next step for young men anyway. And now I'm just so thrilled. So many young women are going on missions. It's crazy. The classes that I teach when I have them stand up and introduce themselves, how many of the young men and the young women are are both returned missionaries. It's really nice. When you get to that point, then there becomes the, I think you don't continue to date somebody you know you wouldn't want to marry. It takes you away from more promising relationships. Absolutely. Well, I think that's it. I mean, we've gone through a lot of really important things here, discussing relationships, what it looks like to be in love, what it looks like to break up with someone, the warnings, what we should be looking for and focusing on that eternal marriage and a celestial marriage, not just an event. We covered some really great topics here. Is there anything else you would like to add? Well, just that it's not an exact science. I wish there were perfect answers to all of this. 
one of the things that Sherry Dew told me once, Sister Sherry Dew, when I published this book, she was the head of publishing a Deseret book, and we talked about some of these things a lot. And Sherry said to me once, if all that were required for finding a husband were fasting and praying and going to the temple, she said, I would have Nephi's lined up at my door. <laughs> I love that. I can't explain it. I think that yeah. when I was at BYU, I heard Elder Maxwell say something. I just about came out of my chair. I thought it was so cool. We were in the Marriott Center, and it was, you know, it was a stake leadership meeting or something. And he just made this comment that I have never seen published anywhere, but I wrote it down as fast as I could. And that is that the macro plan of salvation, never heard it called that before. The macro plan of salvation is composed of millions of micro plans and that you have a micro plan of salvation. That was the idea. And that God governs the intersections of your life, the people that you meet and when you meet them. And I was writing this as fast as I could that... I had a micro plan, and you may not understand everything and the way things are happening in your micro plan, but please continue in God to use a section 50 reference. That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. So please continue in God as he helps show you what your micro plan is. And I don't know how it will unfold for you. I don't know how, why it unfolded the way it did for Sherry, my friend. But please continue in God. That is your greatest place to be so that God can give you the best he has for you in his timing. Maybe not in yours, but in his. Yes, I love that. And we'll end with that. Thank you so much, John. I just want to finish by asking you, you know, what are you up to these days? Well, boy, lots of things. I teach down at the BYU Salt Lake Center, and I've been there for many years and just really enjoyed teaching. I teach Book of Mormon and Religion 211 and Religion 275 down there. And more recently, I got involved with Meg Johnson, who is an amazing person, accidentally jumped off a cliff, became a quadriplegic, and she jumped off a place called Turtle Rock in southern Utah. And I got involved with Meg Johnson and Hank Smith. We started, the, or Meg and her husband started this uh, little company. We call it our turtlehouse.com. And in a digital age where we can very rapidly put new talks and new things on that site. And that's been a lot of fun to have people. And we've been doing Zoom firesides <laughs> during the pandemic and everything. That's great. So I'm doing a lot of stuff with them and, and having a good time still trying to write and, and have a book coming out, a Christmas book coming out with Desiree Book this fall that I'm really excited. It was very fun to write a book about Christmas. That was a blast. So just trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, but I'm still doing a lot of things. <laughs> well, that's terrific. That's terrific. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best with our turtle house. That sounds great. Thank you. It's been fun. And thanks for having me today. I hope that this would be helpful to people. That was a tumultuous time for me to be a young adult and to have disappointment after disappointment, but it all worked out. And I, again, I just, please don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the Lord. Please continue in God and help him show you what your micro plan is. Terrific. Thank you, John. And I want to thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. We encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Simply click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review. We read all your comments and it really helps us to grow. 
You can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Podcast What Now. We never say goodbye, we say what now. Find out by tuning into our next podcast. This has been a What Now podcast production.